Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. You know, my wife says to me, David, you know, uh, one of the reasons why you love recognition so much is you love getting it. Well, I'm no different than anybody else. Okay. I love getting recognition. I love getting, you know, uh, appreciate being appreciated for, for what I do. And, you know, my, my most down times in my life is when I feel, when I feel a lack of appreciation from, from people I've either worked with or people that I love or whatever, you know, right? Maybe they feel, you feel like you're getting taken for granted and nobody's really noticing what you're doing. You know, those, those, those lead to, you know, I think, you know, more of the, the disappointments in your life. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get it downloaded right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep, it gives you Z's. So from 1999 to 2016, our guest was the former Yum Brand CEO. Restaurants such as KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, there were 45,000 restaurants in 135 different countries, all the while employing over 1 million people. It was a global company and young market capitalization increased during his tenure from 4 billion to over 32 billion. He was recognized as the 2012 CEO of the year. And since 2016, our guest has developed leaders at all ages through his family's Lift a Life Foundation, Lead for Change, Global Game Changers, and his Leadership Institute. He's authored three books, including Oh Great One, a little story about the awesome power of recognition. Uh, recently shot his age in golf. And our guest today is CEO of David Novak Leadership, none other than David Novak. David, thank you so much for joining us, man. Well, well thank you, Dr. Rob. It's a real honor to be on your show. So you're in rare air, right? I mean, shooting your age in golf. <laughs> Let's start with that, man. What stands out to you about that? Oh, that was, you know, that was just a crazy day. Uh, you know, I started out, I made three straight birdies and, uh, you know, I was four under on the front nine, made one bogey. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I bogeyed number 17. So I had to, I had to birdie 18 at, at Seminole, which is a very difficult hole. I hit a fantastic drive and it barely trickled in the fairway sand trap. And I put a nine iron on the green. I had a 25 footer, a straight uphill, and my good friend, uh, Spider Miller, the former Walker Cup captain, and I know a friend of yours, uh, Dr. Dr. Rob, he actually videoed this, and I didn't know it, but I, I drained the putt 
And, you know, I just went nuts and, uh, you know, I got it all on video. So it's one of the big highlights in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's such a beautiful putt. <laughs> yeah. Just so were you, center cut. Were you, uh, did you get like in the zone that day? Yeah, I really think I was. I think I was in the zone. You know, all I was doing was seeing the target and, and letting it go. Um, you know, I, I struggle with my short game. Um, so the, you know, I didn't get up and down on 17, didn't get up and down eight. Those were my only two, two bogeys. Uh, and it was interesting because that's where I had the less confidence, but I have a really, you know, very confident in my full swing. And, and that day I, I really had it going and was just, uh, hitting great shots. So, you know, you make six birdies, you, you, you feel pretty good at the end of the day, but to shoot my age was something that I didn't, didn't expect to do. And it, it hadn't really occurred to me of doing it, but I have to tell you, I started thinking about it, you know, on, on the fourth hole. <laughs> so, oh, of course. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I'm, I've got to be thinking about, it. I mean, probably less people have shot their age in golf than have made a hole in one. I mean, that's rare air. Yeah. I, I, I imagine that's true. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I work very hard at my, my golf, Dr. Rob, I've, probably need someone like you to take it to the next level. So I get to my consistency, but you know, it's just one of those things that I just really enjoy because you, you never are really satisfied. I've never been ever satisfied where I was at in business or in life. I always try to get better and better. And golf is one of those things where as soon as you think you got to figure it out, you go into a slump and you got to dig your way out of it. And uh, so, but I, I love that part of it. And, you know, I love the fact that, you know, I meet such wonderful people and go to such wonderful places. Um, you know, I just can't imagine my life without without golf and the friends that I build over the years. No, it's awesome. That's the best part, man. I yeah. mean, so for background for our listeners, I mean, you were born in Texas. And is this correct? You lived and moved in 23 different states by the seventh grade? Uh, yes, my dad was a government surveyor, so we moved every three months. My mom would check me into schools and say, hey, David, you better make friends. We're leaving. Um, but, you know, it, it, I thought everybody lived that way. You know, the biggest house we had until I was in seventh grade was eight feet wide by 46 feet long. Uh, it was a trailer. My my dad would hook up the government truck after they did longitude and latitude marks and around these small towns, and then we'd go to the next small town. And, you know, it was always a race to the trailer court to see who could get the best space. <laughs> you know? But, you know, uh, I was very uh, blessed because, you know, we had about 12 to 15 families that traveled with us. And so when I played Little League Baseball, you know, it was almost idyllic. Uh, the whole survey party would come out and watch me play uh, baseball. And, you know, I always had lots of love and, and, and support and, and encouragement. And, uh, you know, so I, I didn't think I was missing out on anything. I think uh, there's nothing I would change about my childhood. Wow. So that's fascinating. So you had kind of a, that team already around you when you were a young kid and then moving and growing up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had sort of a, you know, an extended family. I also had two sisters, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, when we would watch TV in a trailer, you know, they would sleep in bunk beds and I was on the, you know, I was, we had uh, three bunks basically. And, you know, I was on the top bunk, but when we sat uh, and watched TV, you know, we all just you know, sort of just sat right next to each other. We're all tightly, you know, sitting right next to each other, watching the, watching the TV together. And it doesn't matter 
what where we're at now, Dr. Rob, you know, and no matter how big the house is, when my family's together, we just sit on top of each other. You know, it's just part of our part of our DNA and part of what we we grew up with. Wow, that's awesome. What I mean, during that time, what else, what did you learn from from all those moves and, and growing up during that time? Well, I think I learned how to go into new situations. You know, when you're when you're uh, uh, all of us, when we go into new, new situations, you have a lot of anxiety. You know, it's like, who, you know, how am I going to get along? Who am I going to meet? What's it going to be like? Well, I was doing that every three months. I was moving into new school. So I had to learn I, very quickly. Who did I want to hang with? Who were the good kids? Who were the bad kids? Who could I, who could I really uh, sync up with and, and make a friend? I always found like you're only one good friend away from happiness. And, you know, as soon as I made that friend in that small town, uh, you know, I, I, I was very happy. And then I moved on. And I'd look, figure out how to make the next uh, next good friend. And so I think working through the anxiety of new situations was really important. The other thing that it helped me do is that people have always kind of given me more praise than I probably deserve for being able to size up people quickly, you know, understand who they are. And, you know, uh, assess what they need to do to, to grow or, or, or get better. And I think that came from, you know, my constant uh, uh, situations that I was in where I had to assess people and, and uh, you know, kind of figure out, you know, what they were all about. Uh, so when I was in business, I would say, geez, boy, you know, I, that, that Al, I mean, he, he seems to be a little a good guy, but he seems to be a little secure and really isn't confident enough to, 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 to really let others shine in front of him. Is that true? And everybody go, how'd you know that? And then, well, I, I don't know. I just naturally knew that. And, and uh, you know, I, of course, I made mistakes, I'm sure, assessing people over the years. But by and large, I think that was one of my greatest, uh, greatest uh, leadership skills. It's fascinating. I love that. And I think... We titled the podcast already. I mean, just one good friend away from happiness. I love that line, man. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. So a seminal moment, a hinge moment in your life that that led to creating, you know, as you quote, the recognition culture. Oh, okay. You, well, you talk, you know, you talk about not. Yeah, I love it, man. Go yeah, into it. Yeah. Well, I think um, when I was coming up, I was a marketing person. Dr. Rob, I, I came up in marketing, uh, ran marketing for Pizza Hut, ran marketing for Pepsi. But I used to, when I was running marketing sales for Pepsi, I, I had this, uh, uh, I had a quarterly meeting with the late Wayne Calloway, who was a great man. He was the chairman of PepsiCo. And, you know, I would always go in with three or four ideas that, you know, I would, you know, offer up to him that he might want to be thinking about, uh, you know, because I always thought I wanted to show that I had potential and all this so one day he said, he asked me, he said, David, he said, what do you want to do with your career? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to become a president of a PepsiCo division. And at that time, Dr. Rob, that's Pizza, Taco Bell, KFC, um, Frito-Lay and, and Pepsi. And I didn't care which one. I just wanted my goal was to be a division president. And he said, well, David, you're a really good marketing guy. And I said, well, you know, I want to be a division president. I want to lead an organization. He says, David, you're a really good marketing guy. And I said, well, Wayne, you don't understand. I mean, I'm really looking forward to building a company and, you know, working with people and showing that I can, you know, you know, run a business. He says, you're a really good marketing guy. I'll make you president of marketing. We need more marketing people. And, and I walked away from that and I go, you know, I really respected Wayne, but he's the chairman. 
Okay. And if he thinks I'm just a really good marketing guy and he doesn't see me as a, a, a general manager or a business leader or a division president, I've got to do something to show him that, you know, I've got that capability. And that was, you know, a real pivotal moment in my career because about two months later, the chief operating officer job at, at Pepsi Cola Company opened up. And so I, I went to my, my boss at the time, Craig Weatherup, and I begged him for the opportunity to be the chief operating officer of the Pepsi-Cola company. And I had no operating experience. And I told him, look, you can, you know, give me a chance in six months. If I'm not doing a good job, you can put me back in marketing or you can fire me. But, you know, this is, this is something that I need to do. I want to become a division president. I'm going to have to show everybody that I'm capable of, of doing uh, the, the, a broader job. And he gave me that opportunity. And, you know, I didn't know anything about marketing. I, I, excuse me, I knew a lot about marketing, but I didn't know anything about operations. And But I was smart enough to know that there are a lot of people out there who did. And I brought in all of our top operators and I asked them what they would do if they were me. Okay. And then I spent a lot of time going out in the field, meeting with the front line, uh, understanding what the problems were. And then what I would do is I'd use my my power to come back and solve those problems for people. So we created new pricing structures, we new new ways to route uh, load the route trucks, new ways to to make sure that the products uh, flowed from different distribution centers, so we didn't run out of stock. And we really did a lot of good stuff. And I didn't know how to do any of them, but I got the people who did know how to do it all uh, in the room to figure it out, and and we made a lot of a lot of progress. But one of the things that happened when I was at uh, uh, as the chief operating officer, and you asked about recognition, well, I, I would go out and I'd have these roundtables in the morning. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and you know I'm talking to a group of merchandisers, route trucks salesmen, and uh, I asked them who's really good at merchandising. Well, everybody started raving about this guy named Bob who's sitting across the table from me. And he said, boy, Bob is the greatest uh, merchandiser I have ever seen. I learned more from him in three, you know, three and a, four hours. And I did my first two years at Pepsi and people were just raving about Bob, about how good he was. Okay. And I looked down at the end of the table and he's crying. And I said, Bob, why are you crying? These people are heaping all this praise on you. And he said, you know, David, I've been in this company for 47 years and in two weeks I'm going to retire. And I didn't know people felt this way about me. And, and Dr. Rob, that hit me in the gut. You know, I mean, I'd always believed in recognizing people and saying thank you and, and, and being appreciative. But at that moment, I said to myself, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that recognition, the behavior of recognition is the number one value I drive in whatever company or whatever team I lead. And so when I became president of KFC, uh, which I was able to do after I demonstrated I was a decent mar operating guy, and uh, you know they sent me into to, to KFC, and KFC when that happened, I got more calls of, for condolences than congratulations because KFC had been the ugly duckling of of the PepsiCo family. We'd had that business for eight years. We'd never made our sales plan. The franchisees hated the company. The company hated the franchisees. So I went in there and I went in there with the idea, I'm going to change the culture. So I changed the culture mainly through the power of recognition. First thing I did is I recognized the franchisees. I told them 
I love franchisees. We're going to work with you. Our people are going to work with you. We've been losing by not working with you well. So let's see what happens if we work together. And, and that shocked everybody. And then I was looking for a way to really recognize people in a powerful, fun way because the morale was down. I wanted to lift everybody up. So I found out that this guy in our IT department had a functional meeting every month where he gave away this rubber chicken. So I went to him and I said, geez, you know, I really think that's a great recognition uh, idea. I would love to use that as my presidential award. Would you mind? And maybe because I was president, he said, no problem. Okay. But anyway, uh, I took that rubber chicken and I made that my recognition award. And I, I started giving them out. I'd number each one of them. I'd write on each one of them. Like Dr. Rob, you are an incredible motivator. Thank you for building such a great team. You know, uh, building teams is what our business is all about. And you're the best at it. And I'd sign it. And then I would give people a hundred bucks because you couldn't eat a rubber chicken. Well, you couldn't believe what happened when I started doing this. People loved it. And, and people wanted those rubber chickens and people would cry when they get these rubber chickens. I mean, it was the most powerful thing, just this simple rubber chicken. It wasn't a hundred bucks. But I also said, look, I'm going to take a picture of you. Okay. And, you know, I'm going to send it to you framed and you can do whatever you want with it, but I'm going to take your picture and I'm going to put it in my office because you're what makes this business tick. And, so I started, you know, hanging up pictures of people in my office. Now, if you go there, Dr. Rob, you know, from floor to ceiling, and even on the ceiling, I have people I recognized all around the world. Well, sure enough, we turned around KFC because we work together because you can't do it by yourself. You know, that's why I wrote the book, Taking People With You, you know, is that, you know, it's the only way to make big things happen. You, But we turned the business around and sure, I got promoted to be the president of, of Pizza Hut as well. So, you know, those Green Bay Packer cheese heads? Of course. You know, yeah. I, I started giving those away and numbering them and writing on them and taking the pictures. And, you know, same thing happened. We, we got great results at Pizza Hut. And sure enough, I get promoted to be the CEO of Yum Brands, uh, you know, have the opportunity to run Yum. So I needed a, an, another new idea. Uh, so I came up with these walk the talk teeth. Okay. And I would write on the, the top of the teeth, uh, uh, you know, you know, all the good things that you're doing, number them and whatever. And, you know, it worked all around the world, you know, in China, England, India, everywhere I went, it worked. But the big thing was, it wasn't just me doing the recognition. People saw the power of recognition and people do what the leader does. So everybody, all the leaders in the company came up with their own individual recognition awards and it became the number one behavior that we we had in our company. And I think if you talk to people today at Young Brands, they, they, they really take a lot of pride in the culture and they tell you the single biggest thing that they love about our culture is how we value people and recognize people. And, you know, it was just such a joyful thing for me to do. Um, and what was in particularly, I think, uh, made it more joyful was is that everybody else started doing it too. And when you can start having that kind of influence on an organization, change the culture and, uh, uh, you know, really uh, and make it even more powerful, then that's great. And, and one of the things I really believe is that you've got to recognize the things, the behaviors that you know will drive the business. So we knew you had to have great teams. So we recognized people who believed in people. We recognized people who were customer focused. We recognized people who recognized other, other people. You know, we recognized people who were accountable, 
had had uh, positive positive energy. Uh, you know, these were the things that we knew drove great performance in each of our restaurants. So when we anytime we saw it, we started recognizing people for doing it. And guess what happens when you do that? You get more of it. And and I, I, I have a program that I teach now uh, digitally called Purposeful Recognition. And I take people through the process of figuring out, well, what are the four or five things that you know you're going to get great results? Okay. Well, if those things happen in your, on your team or with your, your company or your organization, you know, why don't you recognize those things and see what happens? And I can't tell you how many people have gotten such great results by doing that. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. You're a fantastic storyteller. I mean, obviously you've told this before and I love it. There's so much to unpack there because, you know, I mean, you talk about not wanting, you know, any bobs in the world. Let me just ask something because um, there's two parts, but the first one I want to ask is, I mean, we're, you, you talk about, you know, us as a society, us as humans, like we have a recognition deficit. And when I watch somebody who received that, that praise, you know, whether it was a coach, whether it was a teacher, and we see that, even watching that myself, I get choked up by watching that. Yeah. What do you think it really is deep down inside of when, you know, we watch somebody get recognized, we're recognized, or we're telling somebody, you know, what an impact they make on our life. What do you really think goes on there? Well, I think deep down inside of all of us, Dr. Rob, is that people want to feel needed. People want to know that they count. And when you, when you take the time to recognize somebody, it doesn't have to be with a rubber chicken or whatever. It could be just saying thank you. Okay, for what you just did to help our business go. Okay, you know, it shows that what you do matters and that you count. And I think people want to go through life counting, knowing that they're valued, knowing that they're appreciated. And, you know, people leave companies for two reasons. Uh, it's very rarely to, to, to make a whole heck of a lot more money, you know, like in our business. You're not going to walk across the street and work at Wendy's and make a lot more money than you made at Taco Bell. Okay. You know, but the reason why people would walk across the street is they didn't feel appreciated. And the second reason why they would walk across the street is they didn't get along with their boss. Okay. And those two were, 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 were very closely related. So that's why we spent time, so much time focused on on helping people be better coaches, okay? Not bosses, getting rid of the boss mentality and then showing people the power of, of recognizing people. You know, a lot of people say, gosh, oh my, if I recognize somebody, you know, they won't work as hard. That's such a crock, you know, they're going to work harder. And people will say, well, what if I recognize somebody and, 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 and Bill doesn't get the recognition? How's he going to feel? Well, if you're going to only recognize one person in your life, Okay, then maybe that's a problem. But, you know, why wouldn't you want Bill wanting to get your recognition too someday? You know, so anyway, uh, I, I think it's just it, it's in, a, in us all. You know, my wife says to me, David, you know, 
Uh, one of the reasons why you love recognition so much is you love getting it. Well, I'm no different than anybody else. Okay. I love getting recognition. I love getting, you know, uh, appreciate being appreciated for, for what I do. And, you know, my, my most down times in my life is when I feel, when I feel a lack of appreciation from, from people I've either worked with or are people that I love or whatever, you know, right. Maybe they feel, you feel like you're getting taken for granted and nobody's really noticing what you're doing. You know, those, those, those lead to, you know, I think, you know, more of the, the disappointments in your life. No, I really respect that. I mean, if if somebody's listening to this, though, and they're thinking, well, you know, I'm not really a leader or, you know, a coach in this kind of situation. How do we start that in our daily lives? Because you talk about that in your book, you know, having the gratitude jar, yeah. which which we do in, in our house and, and we'll pull it out and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take those slips of paper out and it. It's fun. It's the gratitude, right? It's the fondness and the memory right. of the heart. Right. What's a way what's a way all of us can start developing that? Yeah, well, I think the most powerful phrase or two words in the world is thank you. Just start saying thank you every time you have somebody do something that merits it. Okay. That's a really simple thing, but a lot of people don't take advantage of that. You know, and if if you're on a team, you know, start recognizing and and thanking people for doing the things that you know are, are moving the ball forward. And if you can have a little fun with it, like I did, then I think you take it to the next level. But the big thing is just get started. Just get started. Know that it's powerful. And, and I call it the leader's secret weapon. You know, you know, if when you've got the power and you're, you're, you've got more stripes than the next person, okay, if you want to motivate them, use that recognition ability that you have as the leader to take their performance to the, the next level. You know, people will not care about you until you care about them. So great coaches, great leaders show people that they care about. Them. And, and, you know, that's by growing them and developing them, but also through just appreciation, you know, just you know, recognizing people for, for the value that they, they bring uh, to, to the equation. And so, you know, the great thing about recognition is it's free. You don't have to buy it. It's, it's within you. And, you know, I always tell young people when they go into uh, uh, a new situation or new jobs, get their first job, you know, take a look around, you know, who do you admire? Okay. Go ask them what they would do if, if they were, if, if they were you, you know, how you can get off to the very best start. And then when it's over, thank them for their time. And, you know, and boy, I'll tell you what, you're going to start making, you're going to start having some fans. You're going to break through the, the morass in a hurry by doing that because a lot of people don't. There is a huge recognition deficit in the world. You know, people don't feel as recognized as, as they should. Um, you know, Gallup has done polls on this and the, the numbers are staggering. Like 80% of people feel like they don't get enough recognition at work. <laughs> that's, about, that's a mind blower. Okay. Um, and, and it's totally, totally uncalled for. And it's something that's within our hands. So the biggest thing I'd say, Dr. Roberts, realize that it's free. You've got it within you. You don't have to wait to be the leader to use recognition. You can start recognizing people right now. Uh, and I think, you know, using it as a powerful tool is going to help you elevate your career. 
Um, and you also have to recognize bad behavior. You know, if people aren't doing what you need to have done, you got you to gotta let them know. They got to know that that kind of behavior doesn't work as well. So, you know, the recognition that you do needs to be well-earned. And people who aren't, aren't walking the talk of your values or what you expect to, in your company or what you expect on your team, you got to call them out. You know, I, I, everybody thinks I'm a nice guy and I, I try to be a nice guy as much as I can, but I was tough too. You know, I'd say more tough minded, you know, in the sense that, you know, people weren't uh, pulling their weight and doing what needed to be done. I, I, I had no qualms at all telling them about it. And by the way, it goes both ways. I wanted people to tell me when they didn't think I was doing what I needed to do. And I've had many people save me for myself over the years. I, th I thank you for that. It's, it's tough as a podcast host, and, and you know this because I want to talk about your podcast, but it's tough being in the actual moment trying to process the information because there's so much good that's there. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you the question was this, is when, when Wayne Calloway said, you're a great marketing guy, and I, I believe in our lives that the very best at some point, either their circumstance or they were told by somebody, that's a bad idea. Don't try it. You know, you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And you use that situation as kind of an external view on how do I get seen as somebody that is just is, is past a marketing guy? Do you, you know, with that kind of situation, how did you see that? And does that have to happen like in our lives to be told, hey, you know what? You're not, you're not good enough. And a lot of people would take that into proving people wrong, but I think it's about proving yourself right. Right. I, I, I like that. It's a much more positive way to think about it. Okay. I think what has to happen in your life is that if you're going to grow, you have to have huge self-awareness. Okay. You know, the, the best leaders I know are avid learners. Okay. And they're also humble in, in their own way you know, in the sense that they need other people and that becomes obvious to the people that they have the privilege of, of leading. But you have to have self-awareness. So that Wayne Calloway moment, when he told me that I was just a, a, a marketing guy or that's how I knew he saw me, that made me realize that I'm seen as a marketing person. That's what I am. Maybe that's my towering strength and that's overwhelming my uh, ability to be seen as something else. But boy, you know, I've got I've to take that wonderful bit of feedback and, 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 and shape my career in a way that is going to show people uh, that I'm capable of more, of more. And, you know, Wayne Calloway could have been right, okay? I might have been just really good at being a marketing guy, okay? And, but I wouldn't know that until I tried to be more. And, you know, Wayne Calloway, I love Wayne Calloway. You know, I loved him. You know, I was a Paul Bearer at his funeral. He, he was a great man, you know, but mm -hmm. he gave me the gift of feedback. And I think we've all got to really look at feedback as a way to gain self-awareness and the way to take our performance to, to the next level. You know, every year I do this exercise called a three by five card. You know, what am I today? Uh, you know, I've got that. I've got that written down. Yeah. That's, well, that's one of my points I got to get to. Okay. Can, I'll, can we, can we hold off on that? Okay. Yeah, we sure can. But, you know, I think that, that, that self-awareness is the key. I mean, you're a coach. 
Okay. If you, you got to understand where your baseline is before you can take somebody to the next level, you got to understand what your strengths are, what your areas of opportunity are, and, and you got to define that reality. The first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. If you go into a business situation, you got to define reality, you know, and the same thing goes for yourself. So, you know, I, I looked at that as, uh, as, as I, I looked, I don't think you have to have somebody tell you what you can't do so you can motivate yourself to move forward. Okay. I think you have to be on the lookout for building awareness of yourself. Okay. And how do you really assess where you are, how people see you, what perceptions, habits, beliefs do they have about you that you need to either change, build, or reinforce to grow you? And, uh, you know, uh, I think that's key. I'm actually writing a new book now uh, with a, a sports performance coach that, that I work with, uh, Jason Goldsmith, who, who works with Justin Rose, uh, the golfer. And, and it's, it's basically on, you know, taking charge of you, you know, uh, you know self-coaching, self-coaching yourself so, to, so that you can transform your career and your life. Okay. And, you know, I think people have to take accountability uh, for their own lives and their own careers. And you can't wait until you have this magical coach show up. And, and the problem is, is that most people can't afford you, Dr. Rob. You know, they can't afford, you know, me or they can't afford, you know. So, you know, you got to become you got to find a way to become your, 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 your best coach, you know, as best you can. And, you know, I think that self-awareness is the key. That's fantastic, David. Um, Cause I will get to the three by five card. So I certainly <laughs> didn't mean to stop that, but that, no, no, that that's all right. No problem. One of my questions. No problem. If you forget it, it's no problem. <laughs> you know, your, your podcast is absolutely fantastic. I mean, how leaders lead you've interviewed, I don't know, countless CEOs and, and leaders in the world. I mean, is there a common, and you mentioned those wanting to be learners, but is there a common theme that stands out amongst all these uh, individuals? You know, I'll be repetitive, but there's no question in my mind that the single biggest thing that drives the, the top, top leaders uh, in any field, whether it's Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase or Tom Brady, okay, is a, is a, a thirst for learning. You know, they are incredible learners. And they, they want to get better every way they can. And they know that you can't get better just by having your, your same knowledge set. You got to, you know, you got to be externally focused. You got to see what's out there so that you can take your performance to, to the next level, take your company to the next level. People that are the best leaders have no problem, you know, going to other businesses and sitting down with other leaders and asking them how they're successful and making best practice visits and, and figuring out how to codify the, the, the learnings from that visit and bringing it back. They're pattern thinkers. You know, they, it's like, boy, if, if, if so-and-so is doing this in their business, how could I do that in my business? You know, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different, but the thought process is something that you can use. Um, you know, so to me, being an avid learner, having that thirst for learning is, is by far and away the single most important thread uh, of all my podcasts. Um, and, you know, I, I think the second thing, and I mentioned it as well, is that people know they can't do it alone. Okay. They, they, they have 
they know that they've got to take people with them and they're humble enough to admit that they need other people. Um, and at the same time, I have to tell you, all these people are enormously confident. Okay. Because I think one of the things that happens over time, if you rise to that level is that you've got a lot of wins underneath your belt. Okay. And that gives you confidence, but I think it's balanced with a humility that things can always go wrong. That, you know, that if you get full of yourself, you know, you, you know, one, one great person that I loved who was on our board, he used to be one of the, the top people and he was a chairman of Goldman Sachs. He told me, he said, David, you know, you either grow or you swell. And I love that. I love that. I think it's, it is so true. Okay. And the, the, the leaders that I talk to, I think, are very focused on growing. Confident, yet humble enough to know that they need other people. Grow or you swell. That's fantastic, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have... Uh, advice for leaders where you talk about, you know, if a hotshot replaces me, what, what would he or she do? Can right. you, can you walk us through that, that strategy? Cause I love that one as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I always felt that you have to have a healthy dissatisfaction for this uh, status quo. You know, you can't be satisfied where you're at. Okay. So how do you put pressure on yourself to perform, particularly when you're doing well? Like at Young Brands, we were doing extremely well. Every year we grew our earnings per share, 13%, you know, every year. We did it for 13 straight years. You know, that's why the stock did so well, okay? But at the same time, you have to say, hey, okay, how, how can we raise the bar, okay? And so this exercise that I used was hotshot replaces me, okay? If a hotshot came in and took my job tomorrow, and looked at the business in an objective way, what would they do? And so, for example, uh, when I was running Yum, we were doing extremely well. Our sales were up, our profits were up, all that kind of good stuff. But if somebody came in and took, took my job, they'd look at McDonald's at that time. And McDonald's same store sales were like two times higher than ours. Their average unit volumes were way higher than Okay. Then, and I know they'd come in and they'd say, why is McDonald's kicking our butt? Okay. Why are they doing better than us? Yeah, we're doing okay, but look, we could, we should be doing a lot better. Why is McDonald's doing better than us? And so given that, and the fact that, you know, I want to keep my job and I don't want to have the hot shot replace me. I had McDonald's immersion day all around the world. All of our leadership teams went into McDonald's for a day observed what McDonald's was doing and, uh, you know, came up with their plan to figure out how they could grow their sales faster, you know, by looking at, at McDonald's as a stimulus for that. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that McDonald's does, for example, is they use their day parks. You know, they, they had 40%, they were 40% of their volume happened before we opened up any of our doors. Okay. So that's why we did Taco Bell breakfast. Mm-hmm. And that's why we added desserts. They had a big dessert line. You know, they had value menus. That's why we, we developed value menus at certain, certain uh, countries where we didn't have them. But we basically, you know, this helped us accelerate our same store sales growth and accelerate our business. And it came from a hotshot replaces me uh, mentality. I love that. 
Well, that's fantastic, man. <laughs> um, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I mean, if you can take us back, so in 1992, you know, you, that's when you're running the sales and uh, and marketing at Pepsi. Right. And I'll let you tell the story, but the question that I'm going to ask basically at the end is, did you keep that clear Pepsi bottle around? Because um, I want you to, want you to walk us through that experience and, and uh, learn from it. Well, when I went into Pepsi, uh, the business was not doing well, you know, um, and I was seen as this marketing person that was supposed to come in and fix it. Okay. You know, really come up with a lot of really good ideas. And, and we had a, a lot of success. Um, but one of the big ideas I had, I was just sitting in my office one day and I said, gee, you know, all these products that are really growing in the beverage business, they're clear you know, waters, clearly Canadian, all this. And I'm just sitting there, I'm going, hmm, that's interesting. And I, like I was talking about pattern thinking, well, I go, oh, well, if clear is really driving people the, the category right now, why don't we come up with a clear Pepsi? And I go, God, that is a genius idea. That is such a big idea. So I called up Roger Rico, who was the C chairman of PepsiCo at that time, and I said, hey, I got this idea. He has a really good marketing idea. He said, That's really interesting. He said, you know, let's go check it out. So I go check it out. Consumers love the idea of a clear Pepsi. Okay. And so we called it Crystal Pepsi and we put it into test market and it, and it goes into uh, Boulder, Colorado. And, it, you know, the first day that the, the, the product came off the line, you know, in the, in the bottling plants. Okay. Dan Rather, CBS News, it was a lead story, said, today in Boulder, Colorado, Pepsi-Cola launched a clear Pepsi, crystal Pepsi. Okay. Well, geez, now I'm a real genius. I am like the smartest guy in the history of the world. And, and this is like, oh, my gosh, everybody's buying this. People are trying to get it shipped from Colorado to different, just like Coors beer used to be shipped around. Yeah. People wanted to get this crystal Pepsi. So I'm thinking I got a great idea. So now what do you do if you have a big idea of Pepsi? You put it on the Super Bowl, okay? So this was like, uh, you know, early summer or whatever. And, and now I'm going to get this product on, on the Super Bowl. We're going to launch it nationally. Well, this is, would be, you know, this is record. But I was a heat-seeking missile. missile. We are going to get this done. So, you know, it does well in the test market. Um, and But we really didn't have a chance to read, read the repeat, okay, of, of the product. I mean, everybody wanted to try it because it was clear and it was a Pepsi and Pepsi's a big brand and people, it had a lot of newsworthiness. So I went to the Pepsi bottlers who we needed to get excited about this product. And I said, hey, we got this great product. I hadn't even shared them with them anything about this. This is David Novak's idea and I was driving it in the organization. So I go into them and so we're going to really launch this next year. Uh, like your support on it. And they said, well, David, you got a really great idea here. There's only one problem with it. I said, what's that? Well, you're calling it Crystal Pepsi, but it doesn't taste enough like Pepsi. And I said, well, we don't want it to taste like Pepsi. It's a as lighter cola flavor and we want to bring in incremental users and we don't want to just you know duplicate the Pepsi taste. Well, that, they said, well, that may be true, David, but you got to make it taste more like Pepsi because you're calling it Pepsi. And I go, oh, no, no, you don't get it. So these people just didn't understand how smart my idea was, okay? Well, we've jammed this into the, 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 you know, the Super Bowl window. We launched the product. And, you know, 
It's the only product in the history of the Pepsi-Cola company that's ever been introduced by a premium price with a premium price. Because usually when you introduce a Pepsi-Cola product, you, 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 you sell it low, okay? So they'll stack it up high in the stores, okay? And so you drive the trial, okay? Well, the bottlers who are in charge of the pricing, they, they charge the premium price. And I said, how can you do this? You're going to hurt our sales. Oh, no, everybody's going to try this. He says, there's only one problem. Nobody's going to come back, okay? And I, I, I said, well, you, we'll see, right? Well, guess what happened? We launched it. Everybody tried it. And not everybody came back. And guess what the number one reason was, Okay. It didn't taste. taste enough like Pepsi, okay? And so the big lesson there was some people will say it can't be done every step of the way, okay? The first thing you have to ask yourself is, are they right? Okay? And in this case, if I would have done my homework, I'd have learned that the franchise bottlers were right, okay? And the other thing is, is that if I would have done that, I think that was clearly one of the best ideas I've ever had in my life, Okay. But if I just would have taken some feedback and, and, and not so been so arrogant about it and not been such a, such a heat-seeking missile, I think I would have had one of the biggest product innovations in, in the history of, of package goods. You know, this, the year we developed it, it was like one of, it ranked the, one of the top new product ideas of the year, okay? The, but when Time Magazine in the year uh, uh, at the decade of, of 2000. Okay. They, they listed as one of the top hundred uh, marketing failures in the history of, of, of the United States. Okay. And that was me. Okay. Now the good news is I survived it because people did make a lot of money on the product because they charged a premium price for it. Okay. But the problem was it could have just been so much bigger. It's a fantastic story. <laughs> I don't look, you know, I, it's for me. It's a tough one to tell because uh, I always look at it. Even to this day, I've got I've got a Crystal Pepsi in my office. I look at it um, just to remind me of, of the importance of, of 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 making sure you're you're right and doing your homework. But also look at it in the sense of that. Hey, this could have been one of the biggest ideas out there. Okay, but you know you, you got to get in the arena. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you, you, you gotta throw, you know, try to try to hit a few big home runs every now and then. And I, I was th- I was going for the fences, and you know, you you know, we all make mistakes. You just have to learn from. So when when that happens, and you realize that it, it wasn't going to be, you know, a, a return customer, and it wasn't going to be as successful. I mean. What was the major lesson, I guess, in that, like, no, let me rephrase that. Like, how did you keep moving forward in terms of your confidence and belief in yourself because of everything that happened? Yeah, well, you know, in golf, you hit a bad shot, right? Right. Okay. But you got to remember the good ones. Okay. You know, I wasn't getting thrown out because I had a pretty good track record. I'd had more wins than losses. Okay. So what you have to do is go into the memory bank and 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 think about those times when you did perform okay and, you know like in golf for example you know i've written down my best drives my best three woods my best five woods my best nine irons my you know you know shots that i hit you know I, so that you know when i get a little down you know i'll go back and you know i'll look at it and and it'll you know it gives me the confidence that hey I've got it in me so I never lost my confidence I I, I knew I had it in me um, 
But, you know, I was certainly humbled by it. There's no question about that. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I think I, I learned so much by doing it that in the end, it, it, from at least from a personal perspective, you know, I think it took my performance forward, you know, down the, down the road. And like I said, from a business perspective, it wasn't a big failure in, because people actually made money. And, you know, right. people would have lost a lot of money on it. I'm sure I might have had a lot more heartache. That's great, man. Um, you're really big on gratitude, and you, and you talk about that a lot, especially with uh, recognition. Um, how did uh, the experience with cancer, how did that change your life? Well, you know, I think when you have cancer, and I had a stage 3A tumor, I had actually I had breast cancer, which is very rare in men, okay? Um, but, you know, the thing about cancer is that you're not hit by a bus. You know, you have time to tell the people that you love them, that you love them, and they have time to tell you that they love you, you know? And, you know, so for me that was a, a a really powerful time where you know the love was going both ways you know the love i had for other people and the love that people had for me you know so it was in many respects it was a joyful experience you know in in that regard okay the other thing is is that i felt like you don't know what god's going to hand hand you Okay, you know, you can do all the things that you're supposed to do and and you can still die. Okay, you know, but uh, my view was I was going to do everything I could to give me the best chance of of living. And so I read where Lance Armstrong, you know, worked out before chemo days and after and after he had the chemo, he worked out two times. Okay, I did, too. I worked out every day. I played in golf tournaments. You know, I, 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 and I stayed as positive as I could possibly uh, stay with the reality that, hey, you do have cancer. You know, you can die. I mean, there's no question people do die. And I had a stage 3A tumor and I had, I had operation. I had, I had 12 weeks of chemo and I had six weeks of radiation and I had the, you know, tumor removed with surgery, you know. So I had a, it was, it was, this was serious stuff. Okay. You know, lost all my hair. Uh, you know, you, you go through all of that stuff, but you know, uh, in the end, you know, I think I came out a, a, a stronger person. Um, I've always been grateful. Um, but I think, you know, when you're faced with, with that, you're, 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 you're even more grateful when you find out you're, you, you know, you, you possibly have built beat it. You know, I've gone, uh, I'm going now in my six years now where I, I, it's been, you know, I have not had it recur. Um, but you know, it's always there, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, in the back of your mind is, is a possibility, but, um, should it come back? I'll, I'll deal with it just like you deal with anything else. I appreciate you sharing that. I often think, you know, even though those difficult times that you go through, um, it's kind of the blessing because like you alluded to, I mean, when we're kind of faced with our humbleness, our own mortality, it makes us grateful and stay in the moment a lot easier. Yeah. 
Um, but we're all going to die. Okay. Right. It's just a matter of when. Okay. Right. You know, I've been in a significant car accident. It could have happened then. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'd like to win a few tournaments before I die. Okay. You know, I'd like, I have some objectives that I'd like to die. I'd like to, you know, you know, develop more leaders before I die. I have things that I want to get done, but you know, it could happen tonight. Okay. So one of the things I, that draws my ire is new year's resolutions. And I know you're not a big new year's resolutions guy, but share with us that great three by five card that, that assists with, with our focus. Yeah. Well, I was talking earlier about self-awareness, you know, what I try to do every, every January 1st, I do a three by five card. It's actually a four by six card, you know, but I, I write down what am I today and how can I be more effective tomorrow? Okay. And it's more, it's important to say, and, you know, instead of, but, you know, it's like, okay, you know, let's leverage off of who you are and, and how you can get better. Okay. So, you know, I, I, uh, Every year I write down four or five things that, that uh, you know, I see that I am today and then, you know, the things that I need to get better. Like, for example, you know, it could have been I'm a really traditionally good marketer, marketing person. I came up doing TV ads and print ads and, you know, traditional uh, uh, media. So what? how do I get better? I got to understand social media, you know. I, uh, you know, but that's just one example. But I, I you know, I, I have a good full full uh, swing. You know, my full swing's great. My short game's bad. I want to build a, you know, I want to be better at, at, at short game and, and, and better at performing in tournaments. You know, so I just kind of, this is what I am today. This is what I need to do to, to grow tomorrow. And, uh, and you know, I've, I have it posted on my refrigerator. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I look at it. Uh, Every day I look at my, my three by five card and I try to take stock of, of, of how I'm doing each month, you know, in a more significant way versus, versus my goals. It can be as simple as like, uh, you know, I love reading, but I'm not reading enough. So I want to read at least one good book a month, you know, little, little simple things like that. You know, uh, you know, uh, I'm a great family man. Okay but I want to be more spontaneous and reach out to my family members more often. And, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you just have to, but, but it comes from a real assessment of where you are today and what you want to be uh, to be even better tomorrow. And by the way, I had all of my leaders do three by five cards. Okay. So I had 50 people I coached at young brands. And the first thing we did was we, everybody did a three by five card. And they would share that with me in January. And then when I'd have my quarterly uh, coaching uh, sessions with these guys and women, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, we pull out the three by five card. Okay. Go through it. How we doing? Okay. And then we go through the business objectives. So it was like, how are you growing yourself? How are you growing the business? And it was very powerful. It was very powerful. And, you, you know, it also shows to everybody that I, w- I wanted to be a good coach. You know, I wanted to help people grow. And people like that. People mm-hmm. love those, those one-on-one sessions that I would have. Okay. Imagine, Max, that's a fantastic exercise that because of you, I've adopted that myself. Good. Uh, yeah. Well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> 
I've really enjoyed this interview. And I just have one more question. And that is, uh, what question, David, should I be asking that, that, I've, that I haven't asked? Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're a pretty good interviewer. You've asked me, you know, uh, you know, a lot of good questions. Um, you know, I'm, you might want to ask, I guess you could ask me, you know, what's my unfinished business? Okay. You know, Please. and, uh, you know, I would say, you know, my objective in life is for the remainder of my, my life is I want to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. Okay. And so, you know, my focus is, is to develop a pipeline of leaders, you know, from elementary school to middle school, high school, university, university, and also aspiring leaders. And that's why, you know, you know, my family foundation is focused on, on, on this pipeline, because I think you can start learning how to lead very early on. Like we have this program that we've partnered with uh, Jan Helson on Global Game Changers, where we teach elementary students, you know, to find out what their talent is, put their heart into it, that becomes their superpower, okay? We take, we have Lead for Change, where we I did curriculum from my book, Taking People With You, video curriculum, and we've got over 10,000 teachers signed up every year. We've reached over a million and a half kids the last five years. And, you know, we teach people how to take people with you and how to lead and, and, and do service projects. And then we recognize people who come up with the best service projects and get the best results. You know, at the University of Missouri, you know, we have 12 accredited, which is my uh, 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 alma mater. You know, we have 12 accredited hours on taking people with you or we're teaching people, you know, how to, how to, how to lead. And the goal there is to make the University of Missouri the best leadership teaching institution in, in, in the country so that other people come to us and, and as a best practice uh, place to learn how to lead. And then I created David Novak Leadership, which is for aspiring leaders, which I do digital uh, training and, uh, you know, on purposeful recognition, essential leadership traits, the David Novak method, which we're working on. And then I do my podcast and, you know, um, all the proceeds from my books that I write in the future are going to go, uh, you know, back into leadership development, because I think it's something that our country uh, is in, in major, major need of. You know, I'm hoping that somewhere along the line, we can, you know, help motivate someone to, to be the, uh, an incredible president uh, that can, you know, bring our country together and, you know, and take us to the next level. You know, it, it only takes one. So if we're, if we're really lucky uh, to, to, to do that with, with one person. That, wouldn't that be awesome? It only takes one. David, thank you so much for joining us. We'll put all those links um, for our listeners. And uh, I just want to thank you again for, uh, for your time and, and advice. This was really fantastic. Well, thank you, Dr. Rob. I'm glad you uh, used some of the ideas that, that we have. And, uh, you know, I certainly enjoyed your, your, your book, uh, about puking, you know, which was very interesting. You know, I got a lot out of that. And, uh, but I do think you have to come, you know, the only way you can, uh, you have to have a setback to come back. And, you know, I, I think you make great points and you're doing good stuff in the world. And I appreciate your leadership. 
Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.